again to Jude chapter 1, and I uh, appreciate just uh, again the good spirit this morning, and praise the Lord, I'm thankful that my sister can be in church today, and she's uh, had her first uh, chemo session just recently, and just continue to pray for her, we'd appreciate that as um, just goes through that, that treatment to prevent or precautionary to the cancer that she had. Um, when my when I told 
Jaden this morning that he was going to see his teachers today. He asked me if it was Monday. And I'm just glad because, you know, sometimes he gets his days confused that he knew Monday was school day. But um, before we get into the, the message, I want to read to you a story. And if you could just listen in and hopefully we can learn something this morning that I think is really important. And the story goes, Mrs. Thompson stood in front of her fifth grade class on the very first day of school in the new term and told all of those children something that's to keep to for, every, for anyone. Like most teachers, she looked at her pupils and said that she loved them all the same, that she would treat them all alike. Now, that was always going to be an impossible claim because right there in front of her, slouched down in his seat on the third row, was a little boy named Teddy Stoddard. Mrs. Thompson had watched Teddy the year before and had noticed that he didn't play well with other children, that his clothes were unkempt and he constantly seemed to need a bath. And quite frankly, Teddy was generally an unpleasant child. It got to the point during the first few months that she would actually find herself taking great delight in marking his papers with a big broad red pen, making bold X's and then marking the inevitable F at the top of the paper, biggest of all. And because Teddy was such a sullen little boy, nobody else seemed to enjoy him either. Now at the school where Mrs. Thompson taught, she was required to review every child's records once in a while, and she found herself putting Teddy's off until last. But when she eventually opened his file, she was in for quite a surprise. His first year teacher had written, Teddy is a bright, inquisitive child with a ready laugh. He does his work neatly and was excellent and has excellent manners. He is a joy to be around. His second teacher wrote, second year teacher wrote, Teddy is an excellent student who is well liked by his classmates. But he is troubled because his mother has a terminal illness and life at home must be a struggle. His third-year teacher had written, Teddy continues to work very hard, but it's clear his mother's death has been hard on him. He obviously tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest and his home life will undoubtedly be affecting him if some steps aren't taken. Teddy's fourth-year teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn. He doesn't show any interest in school at all. He doesn't have many friends these days and sometimes sleeps during lessons. He is tardy and could potentially become a problem student. By now, Mrs. Thompson had realized that there was a problem and felt a little ashamed of herself. But Christmas was coming fast and realizing was all that she could do. What with the, children, the other children in the school playing all until the last day of term? And she was suddenly forced to focus upon little Teddy Stoddard. Her children had all brought her presents, all in beautiful ribbon and brightly colored paper, except for Teddy's, which was kind of clumsily wrapped in heavy brown paper that had clearly once been a shopping bag. Mrs. Thompson took pains to open it in the middle of the other presents. As she did so, 
Some of the children started to laugh when she found an old rhinestone bracelet with some of the stones actually missing from it. And an old bottle that was only a quarter full of perfume. But she stifled those children's laughter when she exclaimed how pretty the bracelet was, putting it on and dabbing some of that perfume onto her wrists. Teddy Stoddard stayed behind that day just long enough to say, Mrs. Thompson, today you smell just like my mum used to. After all the children had left, Mrs. Thompson cried. She cried for at least an hour. On that day, the last day of term before Christmas, Mrs. Thompson quit teaching, reading, writing, and mathematics. Instead, on the first day of the new term, she began teaching children. Mrs. Thompson said, paid particular attention to the child they all called Teddy. As she worked with him, his mind seemed to come alive. The more she encouraged him, the faster he responded. On days where there would be an important test, Mrs. Thompson would always remember the smell of that perfume. By the end of that year, Teddy had become one of the smartest children in his, in her class and, uh, in his class, and well, he had also kind of become the teacher's pet. A year later, Mrs. Thompson found a note passed under her classroom door from Teddy, telling her that of all the teachers he'd had in the whole of primary school, she had been his very, very favorite. Six years went by before she got another note from Teddy. He wrote to her saying that he had now finished secondary school. He had finished third in his class, and he noted that he couldn't have done it without her encouragement. Three years after that, she received yet another letter saying that while things had been tough at times, Teddy had stayed in education, he had stuck with it, and would be graduating from university very soon with the highest of honors. He wrote that it was because of her care for him that he had even had the drive to learn. Five more years passed and yet another letter came. This time Teddy explained that after he got his degree, he had decided to go a little further. The letter explained that she was still the best teacher that he had had in his entire life, but now his name was a little longer. The letter was signed, Dr. Theodore F. Stoddard. But the story doesn't end there. You see, there was yet another letter later that year. Teddy Stoddard said that he'd met this girl, and they were to be married. He explained that his father had died a couple of years ago, and he was wondering if Mrs. Thompson might agree to sit in the seat that it would have usually been reserved for the mother of the groom. Well, of course she did. She wore that bracelet, the one with several stones missing. She wore the perfume that little Teddy Stoddard had given her as a clumsily wrapped Christmas gift all those years ago. And on that special day, Mrs. Thompson smelled just like, well, just like the way Teddy remembered his mother, smelling on her their last Christmas together. They hugged each other, and Dr. Stoddard whispered in Mrs. Thompson's ear, thank you, Mrs. Thompson, for believing in me. 
Thank you so much for making me feel important and showing me that I could make a difference. And that's the impact a little compassion may have on another person's life. In our reading today, in our scriptures, we read there that some have compassion making a difference. And you know, sometimes being a compassionate person is not a trait that we can often see as a difference maker. We can look at other traits that perhaps in a visible sense are commendable. We can look at leadership. We can look at decisiveness. We can look at all of that. But the Bible tells us that it's compassion that can make all the difference. And sometimes, you know, we in our types of churches that hold to fundamental Bible doctrine, one of the things that we're accused of is that we just lack compassion. That, that somehow we've lost that, 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 that part of Christianity that actually makes all the difference. But I want to tell you that truth and compassion aren't at odds. Right? Compassion stems from truth that is taught and modeled in the Word of God. And in fact, compassion ought to be something that we want to grow in because compassion is actually a characteristic of God. In Lamentations 3.22, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Why? Because His compassions fail not. Compassion, according to Webster's Dictionary, is defined as suffering with another. It's painful sympathy. It's a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. Pity, commiseration. Compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow, and at least some portion of love generally attends the pain or regret or is excited by it. Extreme distress of an enemy even changes enmity into at least temporary affection when it comes to having compassion. In Psalm 78, verse 38, the Bible tells us, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. And we read that passage there in Psalm 78. It's really describing God. How in, in all actuality, he sees sometimes our iniquity and there's a sense in him of his justice. And yet, because of his compassion, he turns away. In Luke 15, 20, that chapter there about the prodigal, speaking of the father, who's a great type of, God in Luke 15, 20, and he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And so all of these pictures, all of these scriptures of our heavenly father who in compassion either ran to us or either turned his anger away. And compassion is, is really an old French or Latin word that, that really means to suffer with. It's, it's sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or mis, misfortunes of others. And it's really seeing people for, for where they're at. And someone said that compassion is your hurt in, uh, in my heart. And I want to bring you today just, just the thought of this. How are we, how, what, what difference are we making? You know, as we go about and we see the concerns of the world, you know, we can sometimes get into the mindset of uh, pointing out all of the different, uh, different struggles of the world. 
we can look at and sometimes in our own judgment uh, come to a conclusion about a person or about certain, uh, certain things that we, we deem as, as evil or wicked and without even giving thought, we can cast quick judgment on that. And, and yet the difference maker isn't one who will just simply, uh, simply go down that line, but the Bible tells us, and of some have compassion making a difference. It's compassion that is the difference maker. And, and so we see here in, in our scriptures that, that really we need to focus in this morning on just growing in our compassion. You know, we've been talking a little bit about as a church some of our values and really the emphasis in the, the, the next month and a bit is just in regard to being a going church. And that, what that has to do with is the great commandment, uh, the great commission. And the great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's about winning others to the uh, through the gospel message. And, you know, sometimes we go about that and, and we could be uh, a little harsh in our, in our telling of the gospel message. And so many times, you know, people don't really, people don't really know until they know that, they don't really want to know what you know until they know that you care. Many times we've got to look at the, the reality of that. And I think there's some things that we can learn here as we think about compassion, firstly, we should have a compassion that opens our eyes to people's most pressing condition. Because if we see the context of our two verses here, it's really speaking about those that, would, that need saving. He's saying, and, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. And we understand that there's a balance in that, in, in understanding that, that as we have compassion, it's really motivated by the reality of others' condition. We can't go by in our lives and sort of just walk along in a bit of a daze, in a bit of a daydream, thinking that everyone's going okay. But the actual reality is that there's a, there's a condition that people are in. There's a condition that they're in that we need to observe, and that's the kind of compassion that will make a difference. And, and we see several times in Jesus' own ministry that he saw. And we understand that Jesus being God, he can see all things, not, unlike, uh, not like us who sometimes can just look at the outward appearance, but God, we understand, sees the heart. But we should have a compassion if we're going to have a godly compassion that makes a difference. It needs to be the kind of compassion that opens our eyes to people's most pressing need. You see, in Mark 6.34, we see the Lord Jesus, he came out and saw much people. And the Bible tells us that he was moved with compassion toward them. Why? Because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. You know, even the Lord Jesus, when he looked at the multitude, and I wonder if you've ever been on a hilltop somewhere, and uh, yesterday we were at a, at a wedding, and we were at a, a beautiful venue. We went to a French restaurant for the reception. The, the food was beautiful. The people were in a jo jovial and joyous mood as, as they were celebrating uh, uh, the, the marriage there, and we were just enjoying that. But this beautiful view looked over the, an area of Brisbane there at, at Baden and so forth, and it was just all full of lights. And, you know, I began to think about all those lights. I began to think about not just the households, but the people in those households. I began to realize that, you know, if we 
could, we could count how many people there are. I wonder, I started to wonder if there was even a gospel, even if a gospel preaching church in that area. And I can't think about the Lord Jesus who was, who God in flesh had the, the, the traits of God and his compassion. And I can't imagine the groanings that the Lord Jesus himself would have had as he looked at the multitude who were lost. And Jesus had the kind of compassion that saw the, the people's most pressing condition. And it's really God's nature. It's, it's him noticing people's needs, being moved when seeing the spiritual condition of people and the driving force in him noticing that was he had compassion. And I'm saying that we need to look beyond our own needs and see the needs of others. You know, we can so easily get bogged down in our own needs. Right? I'd be the first to admit that. You know, sometimes we joke and we don't get what we, exactly what we wanted and it's something as trivial as, you know, we, the, the barista got my coffee order wrong. Okay, not that Simeon ever gets that wrong, all right? He's our, he's our barista in training, but... You know, you just sort of look at that and sometimes it's that trivial that we complain about. And yet, probably the person just behind us maybe has some of the greatest troubles that they're ever going through. And we joke around and we call it first world problems, right? And sometimes what we're missing in that scenario isn't just the fact that we've, we've, they messed up our coffee order. It's maybe just we've just lost that touch of compassion in our lives. And we need to look beyond our own needs and see the needs of others. And that's what that's driven by compassion. You know, so often I think we miss opportunities to be a, a, a help to others for God's glory because we don't have compassion that makes a difference. And I think, firstly, we can't overlook the fact that sometimes there's a physical condition. You know, often the Lord Jesus, as he went about, you, you know that he would often ask his disciples, do we have enough food? You, you see that in, 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 uh, in Mark 8.2, I have compassion on the multitude. Why? This is Jesus speaking, because they now have been with me three days and have nothing to eat. You know, I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize the Christian life. And we could look at the need of others in their physical sense, maybe a, a, a lack in their lives that we can meet. Maybe there is just that, there's the necessary things of life like food. I remember years ago, we had a, a friend of mine in our church there in Sydney who, after years and years of battling a, a health condition, he, his, his dad passed away. And for a little while, he, he and his mom and his sister, they just, you know, they were just leave, living meagerly. And so with that, they, there was just certain needs that came about in his life. And I remember our, our, our pastor who just had become our pastor just took an interest in this young man. And one of the things that made a difference in his life was just the, the pastor noticed that he was walking around with holes in his leather shoes. And I remember that, that um, afternoon, I think, um, I, I remember him getting picked up by the, our, our new pastor and he had holes in his shoes and the pastor just bought him leather shoes. And you know what, that young man, it just made all the difference in his life. That young man continued to, to just continue to follow God and he's one of my best friends now. He lives in the States. We're trying to coax him back to come live here anyway, but uh, you pray for that. But, you know, he, he went on and he's just gone on for the Lord, done stuff for him. But the difference was just someone who had eyes for a physical condition of someone in need. 
And sometimes we've got to, we, we over-spiritualize our Christian life by saying, well, I'll pray for that, when actually you don't need to pray, you've got the dollars in your wallet. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 3.17, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? So if you have it and you're able to, and you shut that up, you shut up that bowels, those things that comes that is called compassion, then he even asks the question, how dwelleth the love of God in him? And I'm saying our compassion should extend to brethren who have need, but you know sometimes it's not just their physical condition, sometimes it's their emotional condition. And so often Jesus came to comfort those who were grieving. We know of an occasion where he sees that the, the, in, in Luke chapter 7, that there was a, a widower's son who had, been, had died, and he sees the widow, and he's moved with compassion. We know that when he visited his good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Lazarus having passed, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible. Anyone know it? John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. Jesus himself, uh, uh, understanding the, the, the emotional condition of the family, Understanding the grieving that they were going through, Jesus himself, the very God in, on this earth, he weeps. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. He understood the feeling of our infirmities. You know, one of the things that we deal with as, as, as people is not just the actual issue, but the emotion to the issue. Sometimes we go through things and there's an emotional toll that it takes as we're dealing with a, a situation, as we're dealing with trying to find an answer for a need. And sometimes all we need is just someone who's compassionate to just say, it'll be okay, we're with you. To just come alongside, and, and it may not be anything physical that you need. It may not be anything specific that you might just absolutely need in that moment, it just might be that there's someone just compassionate enough to say, you know what, I can just get alongside someone who's just struggling. And so many times that's really the, the reality of it. You know, someone once said this, it was a preacher who experienced his own tragedy. And for years he had a radio station and he, he would often close with this, these words. He said, be good to everybody. Because everybody is having a tough time. And you know, sometimes a kind word makes all the difference, doesn't it? Sometimes in compassion, just a kind word to say, no, are you okay? And not just a cursory sort of just question, are you okay? No, a re real, a grounded one that says, are you okay? And sometimes that's all it takes. It's the, we need to realize the condition that others have in our, just with compassion, sometimes with, in their physical condition, in their emotional condition, but certainly their spiritual condition. In all that Jesus did to show compassion, he didn't neglect actually their greatest need, and that was a need for a Savior. You know, sometimes we stop there and, and we might, you know, we might just sort of stop at the encouraging word. And, and that's not a bad thing. We might even give something to meet a need. But you know, what's really important is that we, we meet the spiritual condition of people. 
we realize that perhaps the, the reality of the struggle is because there's an emptiness, there's a void in their heart, and what's missing is God. What's missing is, is a Savior in their life. And, and we read, read it there in, in Jude verse 23, and others save with fear. There's a reality of their condition. When we see our workmates, when we see our schoolmates, when we see our neighbors, when we see those who are out and about and just lost in their condition, I wonder if we're moved in our compassion. You know, the, the famous evangelist D.L. Moody, really his life pivoted. D.L. Moody was a very poor young man. He had to go and find a, a way to make a living at a young age. And, and D.L. Moody, who was, had found a, an apprenticeship in a shoe store, was working in the back, just, just sorting things out, when his Sunday school teacher came. And that week, it, it said that the Sunday school teacher was so, he, 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 his, his spiritual condition, D.L. Moody's spiritual condition was so heavy on his heart that he couldn't just, he just couldn't, couldn't resist, he had to go see D.L. Moody. And this Sunday school teacher with, with a compassionate heart in all of his nerves and all of his own fear spoke to D.L. Moody and it said that D.L. Moody became an evangelist who shook two continents for the cause of Christ. And through D.L. Moody, it's estimated that a million souls came to Jesus Christ. What a difference compassion makes. What a difference that, that someone just cared for the soul of that, of that young man. And too many of us, we pass by without even a fleeting thought of where one might be heading because the reality is we're all just a heartbeat away from eternity. And we might go about it, we might just sort of, you know, not like that person. We might judge them for how they appear, how they behave, and we might even scold them for that. But I wonder if we would just deep down realize their real need. And see, compassion, compassion needs to be the kind of compassion that sees people for their most, most pressing condition. But I want you to note also that we should have a compassion that enables us to come to someone's aid without an expected return. Because sometimes, sometimes compassion is driven by other things. It's driven by an expected return. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we'll turn to maybe one or two other places in Scripture, if you bear with me this morning. Luke chapter 10, and look at verses, verses 30 to 34. And you'll, you'll know this parable as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you understand that, you, you understand that the Samaritans back in the day were actually enemies of the Jews. They, they didn't have, there was a cultural clash there. And yet what we see here is there's a Samaritan come to the rescue. In verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So we see this man that was wounded, left for dead, and a priest comes by. You think a priest who has some religiosity would come to his aid, but he passes to the other side. Verse 32, and likewise a Levite, 
when he was at the plate, specific him and pass on the other side. The Levite was that tribe in Israel that was given specific calling to serve in the, in the temple. And yet this Levite, who should have known better, he passes on the other side. But then along comes verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he had journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, notice what the Bible says, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took, on, uh, took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And the answer was obvious. He that showed mercy on him then said, Jesus, go and do thou likewise. He says, be like the good Samaritan. Be like him who had compassion. Be like him who didn't just go the other side. And, and, and you know, the, the reality was this wounded man, we didn't know who he was. This wounded man had no ability to give in return. You know, sometimes we can be really nice to people that could do something for us. Sometimes we can spend a bit of time and we could sort of sort of uh, triage through people and go, you know what, that person, I'll be compassionate toward them because really there's something I can gain. And you know, there's human nature in that, isn't there? Human nature, sometimes that's, that's the way we deal with things. And yet, what we find here is this Samaritan who really had no vested interest in especially this Jew going between city. He had no vested interest. He had no way of returning. In fact, he, he may have even been as, as if he found out he was a Samaritan, he could have even been rejected. But he took the risk and he did that. Why? The Bible's careful to tell us because he had compassion. You know, coming to someone's aid without an expected return. Someone said this, compassion can't be measured in dollars and cents. It, come, it does come with a price tag, but that price tag isn't the amount of money spent. The price tag is mercy. It's having mercy. And oftentimes, it's the ones that, that most need it, the ones that have no ability to repay, that needs the most compassion. The, the late Colonel Sanders of KFC fame was on an airplane when an infant screamed and would not stop, even though the mother and the flight attendants tried every trick they could think of. Anyone been in that situation on a plane? All right. No one like everyone's looking, oh, there's a baby, I'm going to move seats. But Colonel Sanders asked if he could hold the baby. He gently rocked it to sleep. Later, a passenger said, we all appreciate what you did for us. And Colonel Sanders, Sanders replied, I didn't do it for us, I did it for the baby. And you know, sometimes, sometimes we, we look at look at problem solving and we think, well, thank you for doing that. But you know what? Where's our heart for the one who has a problem? Where's, the one, where's our heart for the one who's actually in distress? They're not just a problem to solve. They're a person. They're a person to help. And the Bible tells us, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And I'm saying God's expectation is that we extend this toward each other as his children. We're meant to emulate him in, in our treatments of one another. 
And what that is, it's a facilitator of unity in the body. And when we have compassion, we will ask in sincerity how someone is. We will in sincerity pray for even perhaps the most, most pressing needs and maybe even the smallest needs. When we have compassion, we'll understand that we all have struggles and that none of us are perfect and we just need to be given some grace. But you know, sometimes it takes grace to accept grace. And, and showing compassion, I want to tell you, church, it makes all the difference. It doesn't just, it's not just a, something that we can, no, it makes all the difference. And you know, there's going to be someone this week that you're going to come across that maybe in your own nature wouldn't like to be around. Maybe in your own personality, in your persona in your psyche it's just not someone that you would normally attend to but I think if we would have a heart of compassion like the Lord did we might make a difference in that person's life and so I want to encourage you as we close now maybe examine your own heart maybe just say Lord how's my compassion going Lord when was the last time I extended compassion to those that maybe in my own mind didn't deserve it but actually in your heart, you wanted me to make a difference in that life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Lord, just for the time that we've had this morning. and Lord, I'm thankful for the many, many, many people who over the years showed compassion on me. Lord, there were many times where there was a need, there was a situation, there was those that Lord, there's just some things that you struggle with. And, and yet, Lord, there's been so many that you've just sent my way to just show compassion. And Lord, perhaps those in the room today can think of one or more who, Lord, in, in their most pressing time, Lord, didn't, didn't think of anything to, give back in re, to get back in return, but actually just had compassion on them and that made all the difference in their life. And Lord, as you said, we ought to go and do likewise. So I pray that you'd help us as we focus in a little bit this morning. Help us, Lord, to just grow in our compassion. Lord, we want to win a lost world to you. But we can't do it if we don't have compassion. So I pray that you'd help us. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you're new to our church, this is just a time where we respond to the word of God. It's just a time where, where if the Lord has spoken to us, we just take, a, take some time, pray, and in quiet reflection, ask Him to help us. And maybe you're here this morning, and we're just going to ask you a couple of questions. No one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If there's anyone here this morning, firstly, I was speaking there about that, that thing missing in your heart. Maybe the Lord spoke to you about your need for a Savior today. And I want to ask you this question. If there's a time in your life, the Bible tells us it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, a judgment. All of us here, we have an appointment. I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, Pastor, if I was to die at any moment, I wouldn't know where I would be. I wouldn't know if, if heaven would be my home. I wouldn't know. Could, could someone show me how I can know that Jesus is my Savior. 
how I can know that heaven can be my home, that my sins are forgiven. Is there anyone here to just say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't know. If I were to die today, I wouldn't know where I would go. Is there anyone here? No one looking around? All right, see that hand. Anyone else? Pastor, pray for me. I wouldn't know, but I'd like to know. Yep, I see that hand. Anyone else? All right. Well, Christian, I want to ask you, how's your compassion? When was the last time you just showed compassion to someone that you didn't maybe particularly like, or but you, you just was moved, you were moved by the Lord to just say a kind word, meet a pressing need? Maybe you would just volunteer yourself for this week to say, Lord, I want to show compassion. So anyone here, just say, Pastor, pray for me. The Lord spoke to my heart about this very thing. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, see those hands. Thank you. We can put them down. Let's all stand to our feet. No one looking around, but if the Lord spoke to you, the altar's open. If you'd like to bow there right at your seat, you can. But let's take our time, and then we'll get into the rest of our day.